Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 73 for Saturday, January 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and joining me, as always, is the other host, Captain Sabriel Mastin. And wow, we are well into the new year, and we are out of Trek already. You know, I tried the seven-day free trial of 2021, and I would like a refund, please. Yeah, yeah. Hold my beer, uh, 2021 said. (laughs) Seriously. Well, you know what? Trek goes on. It was something to look forward to with everything that happened this past week. So we had that, at least. We had the season finale... Season 3, Episode 13, The Hope That Is You, Part 2, previously named Outside, the season finale for now. We don't know when Season 4 is coming. We know that there is a Season 4 coming, but this is the last Trek we have for the foreseeable future, and and wow, what a season finale, am I right? Yeah, it was... I was entertained. <laughs> Yeah, it had a lot that it had to do. We, You and I have been talking throughout this season that there's still a lot of stuff that they need to answer for, and they did their best this time, and there were some moments that I was like, wow, that's great, and there were other moments where I was like, okay, if that's what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> the TLDR is everybody died. It was very sad. Yeah, wow, <laughs> weird. <laughs> but they escaped with the discovery of Syra and the Emerald Chain. Burnham and Tilly took back the ship. They went back to the planet and they saved Saru and Culber and Adira and Sukal. And that's pretty much it. (laughs) There are a lot of details we'll get into, but where do you want to start this week, Bree? You know, I'm just going to go in the broad here. You know, as an action movie, good episode. Yeah. You know, there were some scenes that reminded me of the end of Star Trek Into Darkness, where Spock and Khan are fighting on top of the shuttles as they're whizzing through San Francisco. So that was fun. They mm-hmm. And there were other parts that sort of continued the diehard theme from last week. We were talking with Kay about how is this not a two-parter. And I agree, it really was, in a way. Oh, yeah. This is a three-parter. I think this is a three-parter. Like, mm. I, I, these final three episodes, if you are one of the very few people who do not watch week to week, uh, who listen to the show, but you think that you might actually watch it, sit down and set three hours so you can, if, you, if you're able to, and just watch them together. Because it's just one long episode. That's true. You know, last week we were commenting about how they didn't mention anything that was happening on the planet, or they didn't show us at least last week. So there was this gap where what happened two weeks ago was finally revisited and resolved this week. So you're right. It it is a three-parter. You're correct. Yeah. And yeah, it works out. You could put this in a theater and pretend it's like a Lord of the Rings, you know, theater edition with a three-hour film. But... Because it was, it was just an action movie, and you know that was okay. It it didn't, it wasn't deep, it wasn't philosophical. Uh, there was some, you know, heartfelt moments that you know I got excited at, the, or I, I teared up at the end the first time mm. I watched it. Uh, I enjoyed my time, but it was just popcorn. It was a popcorn movie, popcorn show for me, and that's okay. So tell me what you were looking for in particular that this three-parter, especially the third part, the se- the season finale, sort of fell short for you. You know, that's the thing. I don't know if it did fall short. It, it falled. Yeah, we're going to say that. If I don't know if it fell short. No, I don't know if it fell short. Uh, Star Trek, 
It's always been all over the place. I was actually thinking like, you know what? I watched an episode of TNG last night. And then that got me thinking this morning, like the end of season three TNG is where the show, like people really started to notice next gen because that was the best of both worlds season finale cliffhanger. Mm, Yeah. And here I'm like, there's no comparison here. I'm not trying to compare those two, but I was just thinking about where the Shrek shows have differed since then. And I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know. I was expecting much. Basically what I wanted was, let's wrap up what we did in season three for the most part they did mm-hmm. there are still a few loose threads that they can pull on if they want but for the most part like yeah here we go it almost feels like this this wrapped up the first three seasons period because that was like one long adventure you know what i was thinking exactly that you have pointed out how they have not had any real downtime it's just been from one crisis to the next and now finally they get a breather. Seasons two and three were really tied together theme-wise. It was all about saving the future. Season one was a little more disconnected, but again, as soon as they finished that mission, they got intercepted by the Enterprise and started that adventure. So now, finally, I feel like I don't know what's coming next. This is the first time a season of Star Trek Discovery has ended where the future is ours to make, and that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's almost like they ended this at the point not sure if they were going to get a season four. And when yeah. they did that, and they wrapped it up so it could end here. We got a cool story. We get to see Michael Burnham finally get the captaincy. and But now we know we're getting more stories. And so, cool. We have some loose threads we could dangle. Like I said, that are dangling. We could pull on or we can make a new story. Yeah, I don't think that's why they shot it the way they did because they didn't know if they are going to have a finale. But I feel like or a continuation, another season, I mean. But you're right that even as it was airing, I was like, you know what? If this show did end here, of course I would be disappointed that there's not more Trek. Right. right. But I also feel like I, I, I wouldn't be left holding my breath. Kind of like with Sarah Connor Chronicles, where I don't know what's going to happen and I'll never know. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, you know, I just like, there's this thing, like, you know, like each... TV has changed, Star Trek has changed over all these years, and here, uh, like the original series, you didn't know like what was going to happen in season four or of TNG. You know, what's going to happen in season five? Like, are they going to go home? Like, no. Back then, we're like Star Trek always lasts seven seasons, so we know they're not going to get home in season five. <laughs> uh, Enterprise changed that, but uh, we have now. Yeah, just Star Trek has changed, and like we don't usually, we didn't usually see like what are they building up to for the season finale. Like, no, the season finale was, this is our time to do one two-parter and maybe touch on something that happened this season. Um, Mm. It's interesting how TV and Trek has changed. Yeah. Let's talk about some specifics of this episode. Last week, we saw how Osira actually did want a peaceful resolution between the Emerald Chain and the Federation, and Vance was open to it with conditions. But there was one point they disagreed on, and that blew the entire potential negotiation out of the water and Osiris just gave up and tried to escape with discovery. I was really disappointed that there wasn't more effort. I mean, from a narrative perspective, of course things have to fall apart, but I feel like she should have gone back to her superiors, if any, and tried to figure out what a good compromise would be because this was something that they clearly wanted, but then she just said, let's blow the Federation up. Let uh, you know, we don't care anything about them. Let's destroy them all. And I'm like, wow, 
five minutes ago, you wanted to broker a peace with them. If this, if the premise behind Discovery or much of Discovery was Federation and the Emerald Chain, similar to DS9 and the Obsidian Order, or not the Obsidian Order, but the, uh, the Dominion. 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 Uh, Dominion. Wow. Uh, you know, it'd be different. Here, they, she was the, the pulp pulpy villain of the season and so sadly it did have to fall apart right away yeah uh they could have dragged it out i think they could i feel like they could have dragged this episode out a season out a few more episodes and really made us feel like the emerald chain like feel what they're seeing like make them a real villain or at least antagonist but outside of her mention last week that there is even a council uh there was like they were not they were just the cartoon villain of the week of the season and now at the end of the episode michael's like yeah the emerald chain just collapsed because she was no longer there like what (laughs) oh did she did say that didn't she yeah and so osira was the only thing holding that together i forgot that part because i was going to ask you like they have all these trading posts that we saw as far back as the first episode of the season what's going to become of them are we going to see them in future seasons but no, no, they they just fell apart, and now what? Like these former Emerald Chain worlds are now up for a Federation or yeah, Federation candidacy. So that means a few different things. One, the writers just kind of brushed it under the rug and hope we didn't notice. Or two, <laughs> she was lying, and there is no real council back at home. Or three, she just hold, held much more power than she that the even the audience was really shown that she had. Mm-hmm. Like we assumed it at first, and then all of a sudden she's like, "There's a council back at home," and then all of a sudden we're back to she's Grand Empress Overlord. I'm like, okay, sure, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there have been to- there have been so many times in Star Wars that the Empire and their leaders and or their main ship blew up, whether it was the Death Star in Episode Four or the Death Star and the Emperor in Episode Six, and none of those death blows proved to be such. The Empire always recovered, whether it was building another Death Star or reforming as the First Order. And so, yes, they killed Osira. Yes, they killed or blew up the Viridian. But that just seems too simplistic that, well, you know what? And now that I think about it, we had the same issue last season where oh, they killed this one guy from Section 31 and now control an AI that can be anywhere at any time is gone. That's convenient. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of pulpy villains. Mm-hmm. And they lean into that here. Uh, yep. they, they don't want any long-lasting villains, apparently. Or if there is, it's been super subtle and we have not seen it yet. <laughs> well, you know, kind of like Die Hard 3, they might bring back that same actor and say, oh, I'm Osiris' twin sister. Yeah. <laughs> Very convenient. You know, you know I, since we're talking about blowing up the Viridian, I have a couple of thoughts about that whole sequence. Uh, so they didn't need to eject their warp core in order to escape. Was, the goal of escaping, the, the goal of ejecting the warp core was to blow up the Viridian. Do I understand that correctly? You know, they sure made it sound like they needed to eject it and blow up the ship to escape. But I was looking at that scene, and they had enough space to do the little spinny thing. <laughs> they do. And so we're going to pretend with, yes, they had to. They were just going to destroy the Viridian. They didn't need to. Uh, let's go with that. Whether that was the actual plan or not, or what was conveyed to the audience, 
I watched for it a second time and I still had like, this makes no sense other than to just destroy it. Because Burnham wanted Book to jump before the warp core exploded. Yeah, so it wasn't required to do it. Right. Yeah, that just seems like an awful chance. And it worked out well, but if their goal was to escape alive, then they could have done that without destroying the Viridian. Yeah, it almost feels like the special effects or the the, the action there was a little incongruent with what they were saying. Because on the bridge, Michael's like, I've got a plan and we might survive it. Right. But then when they showed it, it wasn't really related at all. Okay, that's just a little weird. Like t- until he could come back and say, "Or here's a plan where we'll definitely survive. Let's <laughs> jump and not blow up the warp core, or jump and then set a timer." I I don't know. <laughs> right. Also, the warp core being ejected. We've seen warp cores being ejected before, but it always seemed a much more form-fitting process. <laughs> did I did? I was amused. It looked like they were just shoving it down a garbage chute. Right. It was <laughs> bouncing back and forth. I'm like, why did you make a chute that's bigger than the warp core? The only thing I can think of is that they built the chute in you know like whatever year the discovery was built, and then it got form it got retrofitted with a smaller warp core in the future. Yeah. Uh. I mean, also there's oh man, discovery. They don't seem to be able to decide the scale of the ship. Like the whole, I enjoyed the elevator turbo lift scene where they're the action scenes and all that. But holy crap, like we talked about it before, the inside of Discovery is friggin' massive. Except, <laughs> when, except when it's not. Uh, right. It's a TARDIS. It's, it's basically to go from the traditional TV scale of starships to the uh, Kelvin universe size, which are massive behemoth sh- battleships. Mm-hmm. Although I am glad that I think this is the second time we got to see turbo lifts from the outside. The first being the short track Q and A. Yeah. It's yeah. not often that we actually understand how these things work. And, you know, in TNG, I just assumed it was like an elevator where it went on rails and yes, it could go in different directions or different axes, but I still thought it was on rails. And now we find out that no, it just sort of flies wherever it wants. Yeah. And you know what? This shows that most, most starships, at least, this discovery is mostly empty space yes which for is some reason weird yeah not a good use of space either yeah i mean whatever whatever <laughs> it's just, it, it makes for a good action and when you try to logic it down it falls apart and right. we just gotta accept it we have to yep yep no argument here <laughs> when the viridian did blow up the way they framed it was we don't know if discovery jumped in time like of course we know that they (laughs) did but i just started laughing because the the whole screen goes white with the verdian's explosion i'm thinking myself let that be the end of the episode right there and we don't know what happened to discovery or maybe we do and they did blow up and i'm like that's just going to be the best series finale ever (laughs) i would love that in a really in a way that would ultimately make me really angry but it would just be very bold of them to just say, yeah, yeah, uh, her plan didn't work out and they didn't jump. Sorry. The dinosaurs ending where everyone dies. Right? So sad. <laughs> just like uh, I said, everybody dies. Yep. I got a kick out of the, I wrote it down as Discovery has the phase layered optic titanium armor. Uh, it's got plot armor. As <laughs> yes. every Federation ship was supposed to be firing on this thing. Not a scratch on it. Uh, right? I just had to laugh. <laughs> like, I mean, how immune is this thing to an entire fleet? <laughs> I, it's, it's little things that, like, sure, they are nits. Is an action story. 
uh, I keep saying the word pulp action, but that's what these stories are. It's like basically it's invincible until it loses its last hit point. That's okay, but it, it just cracked me up uh, seeing all these ships. I do love all the mentions of Voyager taking action. Yep. Uh, that seems to be sort of their flagship. Uh huh. Or at least Kristen Byer's favorite ship, because that's her right. baby. Yep. Uh, you know, I see all these notes. There's not a specific. There are a few specific moments, but the whole episode is, like I said, it's just a popcorn movie. So I'm kind of like I'm kind of bouncing all over the place here <laughs> without a lot to talk about. Just I have words to say, but not a deep dive. You know what I mean? Like this. Well, you know, like last week, I appreciated that Burnham reached out to her mom as sort of a final message. And this week, the Navarre showed up. Although, to be honest, I had to pause and remind myself who the Navarre were. It's <laughs> the Vulcans and Romulans. But that didn't really play a huge deal. Like, we didn't see her mom. We didn't see any communications from anybody on those ships. We barely saw the ships themselves. But can you help me understand? I, I think I understand, but I'm not sure. Why Burnham argued with Vance to let the discovery go when what Burnham then turned around and tried to do was take back the discovery when all she had to do was not let it leave in the first place. I watching, watching her talk to him. It's that like watching you eye to eye. Like she's saying like, I have a plan. Trust me. Uh, I, I, I would have seen it. would have seen her right away, but she's just telling him, I have a plan. We have this under control. Uh, she's saying a lot with her eyes and with her careful wording. But I don't think she did have a plan. And if she had not communicated with Vance at all, what Starfleet was going to do was capture the ship, right? Uh, 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 I mean... Or was the Starfleet going to destroy it? Starfleet, they, I had to even try to destroy it. Like, don't let it fall into enemy hands if they had to. Because the Navarre had cut off their exit. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the very least, disable it so you they can recapture it, but right. disable or destroy. But no, I'm pretty sure, like, I mean, Michael's plan might have been a 1% shot of winning, but that's basically, it's like, need to let us out so I can connect my vague idea of a, of a Yippie plan. Yeah, uh, I'm, just, but, I'm just not but sure she had a plan. Does it make sense? Again, if we <laughs> dig deep, deep into it, but she's the hero of the Star Trek Discovery. She is what Discovery is all about. So we have right. to take that as a narrative point, like she is our Indiana Jones. She always has a plan, even if she's making it up as she goes along, like uh, the doctor or uh, pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Cause what I thought Burnham might be doing was at that point, she knew that the rest of the crew were being suffocated. And I thought maybe that was her gambit to try to save them. A little, uh, man, I think that fits into it. But even then I feel like, there was enough time for Vance to capture Discovery and save the people on it, even though the transporters were shut down or whatever. But I, I guess it can be argued a couple of different ways. But honestly, um, yeah, if you think about some of these things too deeply, uh, they fall apart. And just like action movies. No, <laughs> I, I, I get that. And I agree with you as far as like, where do all these turbo lifts go? But at the same yeah. time, if we don't think about Star Trek too deeply, then we don't have a podcast. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm getting there. It's just, no, uh, my meaning, it's kind of a bummer. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe we're just used to traditional Trek and they have the, uh, all right, just activate the thermal deflector grid <laughs> sensor that no one, we just made up on the spot in the last five minutes of the episode. Hey, problem solved. Mm -hmm. uh, 
here we actually got to see her beat, beat things up. I don't know. You know, speaking of Burnham's plan and going back to the turbo lift, at one point she says to Book, I have a plan, cover me. And then she jumps out and lands on one of the other turbo lifts. I was really surprised that she basically abandoned him. Like she didn't say, I'm going to go do this on my own, cover me, or I'm not coming back, cover me. So I thought when she landed on that other turbo lift, she was going to plot a course to somehow bring her back to Book so she could grab him and continue the mission together. But no, like even though she cares very deeply about this guy, they're also willing and able to go their own way and do their own thing to succeed in the mission. See, I took it as I have a plan and I would tell you if it involved you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And time was limited because they were under fire at that moment. Uh I mean, they have, I mean, between episodes one and two, they had spent a year together. Mm -hmm. And so they had that connection of like, all right, Michael's doing her thing again. <laughs> yep. And uh, speaking of which, when she gets to the data core and she fights Osira, well, one comment and one question. The comment is, I found those steam vents very, yeah. very convenient. What is that? Why would all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, I can think of it, maybe it's trying to keep the room cool. I don't know. But like, I was, I wrote that down too. I was like, what random gas ejections seem unsafe if you're working here? <laughs> Right. I mean, I understand that computers get hot and they need heat sinks and coolant and the like, but the fact that they only erupted when it was convenient to disrupt the battle? That's that, so weird. I mean, if they were to then go back and say, oh, the sphere data was controlling the ship and that was its contribution to that fight, I would buy that in a heartbeat. But I don't think that's what was happening. No, it was, oh, ship is unstable. Uh, maybe but maybe not i don't know (laughs) uh it was so it was action movie derivative of yes and it they couldn't even they didn't even try to build it up as a uh uh-oh things that are unstable here nope it was just random gas ejections (laughs) (laughs) that's what my dad used to call them hi oh uh and also the weird digital quicksand that was my so i said i had a comment and a question that's my question what the heck is that? Yes, what the heck? <laughs> like, other than movie plot device to try to make things seem bad, uh, like, why do they have this wall of programmable matter that someone could fall into? Uh, right, and then just as easily come out of. <laughs> yeah, it didn't even look like, uh-oh, something's leaking. No, this is just a normal wall. I was watching it the second time. It's just a wall where there's programmable matter just sitting there waiting to be used. I thought it was going to be like at the end of Superman 3 when this woman gets pushed into a computer and she comes out all mechanized. So I, and also like, even though Burnham was not upgraded by this wall of matter, she she then of course had been short of breath and she started coughing. And I thought she was going to like spit out a data chip. Ah, just spit out a few pixels. (laughs) Yeah. I, I didn't. Did she do that? Yeah, she went, eh, and like a few pixels oh. flew out. You could, and her eyes did the the heck was that kind of look. Uh, oh, I but that. Okay. yeah, I mean, right there. Remember how in season one, Tilly got like a spore on her, and then they used it in season two. Oh yeah, they could do that here as a loose thread. <laughs> like oh, you no. got you went you got some Tron on you, and now we can use it later. I don't think they're going to. No, but they the- could. The way the camera didn't focus on it like it did yeah, on the sword. Yeah. yeah. Is it one of those threads that like, oh, we could use that. But I yeah. don't think it's intentional. So let's talk about the dots. 
the little little robots that are uh, that's what they're called, right? The dots. Yep. yep. So the sphere data hit itself in here, and one of them ultimately saved a crewman, and that is awesome. But all the others, and there were so many of them, were just targets. Like we didn't see them do anything. They were, yeah, that more confusion of the questionable, I think, writing on some of this. Like, the end of the last episode, they made it sound like uh, the sphere data was hiding in these three dots. Next thing I know, they are all the dots running around. It makes you wonder if the sphere data was still hiding on the ship, just controlling the dots. But then, with the one that's like, you're not supposed to be here, Owo says to the dot. Uh, and making it sound like it's a big sacrifice from the dot, that it's even there. Uh, confusion abound yet again. Like, is is the sphere data hiding on these dots, or is it just controlling the dots? I I took it last week and this week to mean that the data was in the dot. I I was too, except for the fact they just kept using it as cannon fodder, and then right. they fixed it at the very end. So that made me think, well, maybe not. Like, confusion feels like either messed up or some editing really butchered some important things on this episode. Yeah, it's kind of like Star Wars Episode 7, 8, and 9, where Episode 8 had a different director, and 7 and 9 had the same one, and he decided, I'm going to undo some of these things. So we ended last week with, oh, here are some dots with 100,000 years worth of data that are going to help take back the ship. And this week, we see them march down an alley, a corridor, with no cover, directly into the line of fire, without offering any sort of threat in response, and just be destroyed. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, if this is like Best of Both Worlds Part 2, where you just want to throw a lot of things at the enemy <laughs> to distract it and confuse it, I'll buy that. But we didn't know that that was the plan. It was not communicated to us as the audience. Yeah, I mean, if we have to try to put that together and hope we're right, instead of, oh, that makes sense because of this thing someone so said and whatever, like, no, like, again, yeah. all over the place, popcorn. I, I don't <laughs> like that. It feels... I enjoy popcorn movies. I enjoy <laughs> disgusting things. This felt like they wanted to make an action movie, and that's okay. I just wish I would have known to turn my brain off sooner so I could just sit back and enjoy it. <laughs> now, here's a very important question. Uh-huh. What what kind of popcorn do you like? Uh, just plain butter popcorn, but once in a while I'll put some spicy stuff on there. Do you like caramel popcorn? Uh, Drizzle on, yeah. Caramel popcorn, like I could... It's not my favorite, but I do like it. Gotcha. I like okay. just salt buttered popcorn. I even have a popcorn machine in my office here that was from a hardware store, one of the big ones. Nice. It's so cool. <laughs> and you you mean real butter, not that melted gunk at the movie theater. Right. Remember, remember movie theaters? Uh not really. No. No. <laughs> they haven't <laughs> oh, come to Fargo you, yet. Where you put the nickel in and you turn the crank. Yes. Yeah. Nickelodeon we uh, called them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So do you think this one remaining dot is going to be a main character now? Main character? No. I think that was just them saying, now we have a way to say, like, oh, a sphere data is safe if we need it next season. Uh, which is feels cheap. Because, I mean, we fixed our very important robot, one of them. Uh, I, I mean, they, put, they, they tied it up and so we can use it in the future. So, oh, everything's okay if we want it to be. But if it's not, yeah. hey. I mean, I was really looking forward to seeing Discovery as a ship evolve and uh-huh. i feel like if the seer data did move into the dot then it has unintegrated itself from discovery and we lost 
what little evolution we saw this season, which makes me wonder, how do we get to Calypso? Yeah. Uh, so I suspect it's not gone for that reason. If they even want to connect them, maybe they'll make it so Calypso is totally not canon. I feels a bummer if they do that because I want to know. But right. hey, whatever. Uh, again, I, I could put this. I wrote a list of potential subthreads or unanswered questions for the future of Discovery, and I could, could have put that on there, like uh, Sphere Data. Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be resolved. I mean, I've complained time and again about there was that episode of TNG where the Enterprise became sentient and sent off part of itself, and we never saw it again. Or even in Enterprise, they had that Mirror Universe episode, which until Discovery had no tie-in at all to the Prime Universe. Yeah. So maybe Calypso is canon, and we'll just never know how or why. Yeah. There's some At some point, some little either diverge from the timeline, or right. something will happen in the future, which just yep. will never come up. Now, another thing I was thinking about in this episode was, last week, Burnham sent Stamets off-ship <sighs> in order to make sure that the spore drive could not be operated. And in the end, Book could operate it. So in a way... What she did was eliminate the one person that the chain knew of that could operate it. But given time, the chain would have figured out that book could do it too. And so she sort of made that sacrifice almost for nothing. Possibly, yeah. And now, Paul, if you watch the wrap-up scene, watch yep. him in those wrap-up scenes, the pain in his eyes, the looks that he gives her. Well, yep. Culber and Adir are all like happy. He just glares at her. And then her face when she, Michael is walking yep. on. Oh, and so yeah. Oh, we're here. This wraps this whole thing with book wraps up the episode one of the season or episode two, whatever. When Saru's like, we got to figure out an alternative to just you. And there yep. was our very oh, last minute uh, wrap up of that. When Culber <clears throat> first arrived at Federation headquarters in the future and was being debriefed, he said that, "Yeah, this guy killed me, but we're good now." Well, in this week, we saw Burnham actually save Culber and Adira and Saru. So yes, Stamets might disagree with the decision she made, the priority she had, even though Vance backed her up. But in the end, she's the reason they're alive. And I feel like he should acknowledge that and say, I'm really pissed off at what you did, but I'm also really grateful for what you did. <laughs> it would have been nice to see it on air. Cause I feel like we're going to get that. I think we will. I, I, I think this resentment, is not going to disappear overnight. And there needs to be some sort of resolution. Kind of like how, remind me, was, when Culber came back, didn't he and Ash Tyler have a like a fight in the cafeteria? Yeah, there was something like that. Yeah. So I don't think it needs to come to fisticuffs, but there needs to be some re- resolution or discussion. Yeah. And I know that I have a chance to think about it a bit, to answer a question about like the, they would have figured out book could do it too, with the whole time jump again. Mm-hmm. Um, getting rid of Paul, however, is still good because at least it delayed them from doing the book method. Right, right. Yeah, because yeah. at so, the time they didn't know that book could do it. Yeah. So in the end, it wouldn't have changed much, but in the short term, it kept Discovery at the Federation base. And this week we saw Aurelio come around, which we all knew he would. Yeah, he was, you know, here he was like, Osira, we can't, we don't need to hurt them. We don't need to. And she's like, yes, we do. And he's like, no, we don't. Yes, we do. I don't want to hurt you too. Uh, okay. And then right. at the end, all of a sudden, he's just on the bridge and like everyone's like, yay, okay, we're here. I'm like, okay, we missed a lot of little things in the middle there. 
When Burnham, I, well, first of all, I love when she got back control of the computer, how she was just able to rapid execute all these voice commands. Like, I've never seen anybody tell the computer, teleport or transport somebody from A to B. I'm like, you don't need Chief O'Brien standing at a panel. You just tell the computer. It's great. Oh, they, they yeah, they didn't need Chief O'Brien. <laughs> Unless so someone lonely. went wrong. Oh. So lonely. <laughs> they should do a comic about that. <laughs> but I was wondering, like when she said, beam all the regulators off the ship and Aurelio was not included in that. And it took me a while to think about why that was. I We saw Burnham steal one of the regulator badges. Book even called her out on it this week. And so I guess what she was really telling Discovery to do was lock onto all regulator badges and beam their holders off ship. And for some reason, Aurelio didn't have one. I mean, yeah. I know he's not a regulator, but I still thought he might have one. Badges. He don't need no stinking badges. <laughs> no, I guess not if you're Kenneth Mitchell. <laughs> hmm. I liked that Discovery, since you're in that, talking about that room, I liked that Discovery had some actual physical tapes to put to, up to, to insert and remove from walls. Yeah, it reminds me of all the isolinear chips that Data and Wesley would play around with on TNG. Uh-huh. Or even TOS, they had all the tapes they would carry around. That's true. Uh, yeah. So, oh, speaking of TOS, if you didn't stick around, the end credits played uh, with the actual names that go that end credits played the actual TOS finale end music or credits music. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I was going to ask you, why do you think they did that? TOS theme has always, of course, been, been part of the opening credits, which otherwise are unique to Discovery. But this time they just went full TOS. And I can get that. I think they've done it before when Pike was on, yeah. but Pike wasn't part of this season. Did they do it at the end of season two as well? I, w- I can't confirm I, or deny that, but I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds familiar, like we talked about this before. Yeah. But off the top of my head, no. Okay, <laughs> we, let's just... We, we, we need to go listen to Transporter Lock. Yeah, or let's just let's take the whole audience and go watch this episode, the season finale of episode or season two again. And we'll do our own mystery science theater. Yeah, right now. Okay, so no, uh, <laughs> but then they also did a quote from Gene Roddenberry. Yeah, if you can connect with just two people in your life, and that's what Culber, Stamets, and Adira each did. Yeah. Well, so- I mean, I, I that ties into what Burnham was saying was that. This season started with a disconnection and it ended with a connection. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Like this, did, like we talked about before, this felt like a potential for series finale if they if it was going to be that way with that yes. whole credits thing and whatnot like that. But I'm yes. glad it didn't. That's true. I, had th- I you know what I hadn't thought of the quote in that context, but you're right. I have some questions about what happened down on the planet, which we finally came back to this week. Mm-hmm. So. First of all, there is a subspace component to dilithium. Have we ever known this? It didn't sound familiar to me. Because it seems to me like if it does, then anybody with that knowledge could manufacture a burn. And I'm surprised it hasn't happened before. I mean, I think that has, I mean, maybe, but I also feel, yeah, maybe unintentionally or actually sit there and try to manufacture a key like that. Uh, or no one thought about it before then? Because I started this season, and I think you might have as well, assuming that the burn was an attack. Uh, artificial, at least. Yes. Yeah, it did, they were heavily implying like someone did this right. intentionally to us. We don't know who. And it turned out it was an accident, and I can buy that. But it feels like 
it could be there there is the potential for a burn that is intentional not this one but another one that's what i'm thinking yeah so we need to work at it but it sounds like it could happen or maybe awesome. maybe the the quantity of dilithium is what also happened here yeah, because again, the dilithium on the planet didn't explode. Just it was it was like the eye of the storm. Everything around it exploded. Yeah, and I think you and I f- predicted that it was his mother's death that triggered it, right? Yeah, we talked about that before, and yeah, yeah. and we we're right. Well, <laughs> and what was up with the the cloud monster from Lost? What did we ever figure out why that even existed and why it kept whispering, "See me"? It felt a little ham-fisted. So it was like it wants you to follow it. Like, yeah, well, like it was project it was some kind of manifestation of his fears but it was keeping him away I thought it was keeping him away from that room I don't know I don't know why the holodeck is capable of reading his emotions and manifesting them physically which is terrifying but I guess you know kind of like how discovery has the sphere data the holodeck has the fear data <laughs> sorry I like it I just had nothing but he to say to it. <laughs> but, you know, speaking uh, of manifesting things that are not physical, gray. Yeah, it was, uh, I love that scene. Uh, we clearly missed a little bit where Adira was like, had a moment with gray. Because we? we had to have, because when Adira gets there, like there's no reaction other than, yep, they're physical now. Uh, <laughs> well, no. Oh, wait, are you saying that Adira... No, I mean, Gray didn't know that he, he was physical, but... Well, I'm sorry, what, what are you uh, saying? Well, uh, to me, I assume that they might have had this conversation, like a moment... You, uh, you're right, when well, I'll get there in a second. That's weird. Adira didn't have any kind of like, what? Oh my gosh! Uh, moment oh. on air. So I assume like, oh, just before this scene, they had the, oh, I can touch you, I can touch you. What? What? Weird, Okay. Um, moment because Adira didn't have a reaction at this point. Uh, well, but then, then Gray also says like, "I've forgotten what it feels like to be hugged," and so I was like, "Okay." But Adira, I would think if I was Adira, I would be like not letting go. I think for Adira, you're right that this is unprecedented that they could hug Gray. But at the same time, it was less of an adjustment for Adira because Adira could always see Gray. And the change here was that now other people could too. Yeah. For me, that physical part, I would have been, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So that was took me out of it. You're right. They did overlook that, but I don't think we missed anything. Yeah, maybe not. Um, but I will cool. say, though, that both times Culber hugged Gray, I almost cried. Yeah. It was so sweet. It's like, oh. you're somebody I've never met, and I already love you. You're like a child to me. <laughs> the gay dads. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I found it questionable that Gray could go through the hollow emitter to see what the ship looked like outside. Because, as we know from TNG, hollow matter cannot exist outside the holodeck. Well, that also means maybe Gray is actually there, there, but not... Yeah, I, I don't know how that was made possible. I, I love that they did it. I thought it was very touching, but we still don't know how. I mean, this is... And even Gray said at one point, Tal is stuck. Tal being the symbiont. Yeah. What did Gray mean by saying Tal is stuck? That is one of my list of potential subthreads or unanswered questions for future discovery. But also, there's, what, 800-some years of hologram technology? 
uh, or they could project it outside the ship without or with hollow emitters or whatever like that. Like that didn't weird me out because I can, we can hand now thanks to the huge time skip we can hand wave just about everything. <laughs> That's true. It we don't know. Tech. Yeah, yeah, we don't know the extent of the hollow emitters, and I d- did like that gray was Vulcan. What was Adira? Do you recognize uh, that? Zahian, uh, the one that? The, oh, yeah, yeah. I knew I, I looked familiar, but I just couldn't place it. That same race as Poe. Yeah. From the short trek. That's yep. great. I love that. Good catch. Um, I feel like there was something else going on, on the planet that I want to comment on, but I probably wasn't important. I mean Soro makes a good makes a good mentor, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh the I mean it was an emotional connection for him, but I still didn't feel that close to this like it was supposed to be an emotional thing but i felt more about i felt more feelings when gray could be hugged mm-hmm. than any of the saru and sakal things yeah i i don't know if i'm supposed to like sukal but he's basically through no fault of his own a big baby who killed millions of people yeah you know and i like i don't blame him but I don't need to like him either. Yeah. He's. And he said he wants to try to fix it if he, whatever he can. Whatever Which that is. very means. thoughtful of him. And we don't know what his polyploid nature will mean once he's off the planet. I don't know if he'll have other abilities. Yeah. I mean, one of those, we, they'll leave it open so they can answer it later, or nothing will happen. Do you think Saru will come back in future seasons? That's what, what I wrote in my list of potential sub threads. Like, he's got a crossroads now. Where is he going to stay on Kaminar? Which I don't think he will because he's coming back for season four. I'm guessing for a much longer haul than just appearances on the planet. Could be an ambassador. Will they promote him even further to Admiral? Will he be first officer under Michael? I don't think he's going to be first officer. So either he might get his own ship. He might be co-captain like Spock. I don't know. Maybe ambassador. What do you mean co-captain like Spock? Uh, In the movies, uh, both Kirk and Spock were captains for a few movies. Because Admiral Kirk got demoted. Oh. Interesting. I I don't remember that. Yeah, I think it got re-promoted after he saved him in Star Trek Four. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to keep track. Yeah. But but to answer your question, like what happens to Rue, like there's too many threads, but it was nice to see him happy on Kaminar. It was cool to see Kaminar has jumped so far technologically in the last 800 years or so. That's true. And man, what a busy star sky they have. Yeah, it was. Like, things falling all over the place. Cars, all, flying cars everywhere. <laughs> Is that how long we have to wait to get our freaking flying car? <laughs> I was. I don't know if you remember the old was IBM commercial from the, the 90s, where it was Ben Sisko. Uh, why am I drawing Avery Books? Uh, yeah. He was like, I was promised flying cars. Where are my flying cars? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. I'll have to look that up. I only know the Lewis Black comedy skit. Uh, <laughs> Interesting. So let's talk about a big topic, which is Saru is gone, which means, you know, he was captain. Uh, there's Well, before we get to that, there's one small related moment that I thought was worth mentioning, which is when Tilly and Burnham are reunited on the bridge, Burnham has a plan. Tilly says implement it. Burnham says well, Captain, and Tilly says, no, we need you to lead us. Tilly was a very good first officer, and she stepped up 
when Saru was gone to lead the discovery and reclaim the ship. Why do you think, nonetheless, Tilly felt the need to hand command over to Burnham in that moment? She knew Michael knew what it would take. I mean, a good leader is surrounded by people who know what they're talking about. Uh, And she knew that Michael was going to do this. Michael could do this. Michael had a plan. Michael had this. Uh, Tilly just did a freaking awesome job at uh, what she was doing in between. Like saving the ship, that whole plan, getting that done, breaking out, getting the crew safe. She did that. Michael's got a plan. Like, no, you got this. Uh, I mean, to me, it was total sense. What about you? I'm not sure. I feel like Burnham, Burnham, Tilly, and Saru have all jumped around a lot in this season. We've seen all three of them captain the Discovery at various points in various conditions, too. Like, at one point, Burnham was first officer. And then when Saru was unavailable, she was the captain and called for a black alert. And then Tilly was the first officer. And then Saru was unavailable. And she was the captain. And when neither of them were present, Saru was captain. So we've seen a lot of bouncing around. We've seen the strengths of each one in each position, really. I think you're right that Burnham had the plan. And rather than try to convey it in a moment where time was of the essence, Tilly was just like, you know the plan. Let's cut out the middle person who is me and just have you do it. So I don't think it was a lack of confidence or necessarily a belief that Burnham was a better commander. It was just in this moment, just do what you're going to do because I trust you. Plus, there's only like seven of us on the ship and we're all on the bridge. <laughs> you're good. Right. <laughs> yep. The, the, the bigger thing I wanted to get to after that was I loved the moment where Burnham is in Vance's office. I again love that he's doubling down on not being a bad admiral, which mm-hmm. we feared all season. And when he said, I assume you spoke to Saru, and Burnham says, yeah, he wants me to Captain Discovery. And she laughs it off, and I don't think Burnham had ever seriously considered it, even after Saru said it. I think she just said, like, no, of course not. Just didn't even cross her mind. And then Vance said, I do too. And I love the way Burnham's face just fell. And she's like, oh my, this isn't a joke. Like, she just realized in that moment, this is real. You're not kidding. And I I can understand why Burnham wanted to hedge her bets and say, let me think about it. But that's not really how it works, especially when the Federation is so spread thin. And she had to give her answer. And I was hoping that scene would end with her, like, just having a little bit of a smile. But Uh at the end of the scene, she was still thinking about it. (laughs) And I honestly didn't know which way she was going to go. I thought it was possible she might say no. No, I saw that too. What do you think of Burnham as a captain? And there are two ways to consider that question. One is, in the world of Star Trek, will she be good at her job? And in the world of CBS All Access, does it make narrative sense? She's going to be damn good at her job. I don't think she's going to be one of those captains that never says... She's going to be more like Kirk and go on all the away missions. Because <laughs> uh, she was not going to want to sit still. Yep. <laughs> uh, but the way with Discovery is filmed, they never have that situation where they have to go down to the planet and just see what's going on. Uh, they don't have those situations, so it may not come up as much. But she would be that captain if she was on the original check. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, narrative sense, I could see go to... I don't think Tilly would have gotten it. But I could see she oh she got promoted by the way before I forget to lieutenant. But um 
Oh, nice. I could have seen it gone either way, but with Saru, he has been wishy-washy all season. He's been a good captain when he was there, but even all season, they were making him look like he's not thinking clearly. He's thinking more about home than he he takes his crew. Slice very seriously. He, they are very important to him, but there's something calling him home. And yeah. so I think narratively, yeah, Michael was the only person who would have gotten it unless it was someone like Pike who just came off from the last two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me when Sukal saw the hologram of his mom and she said, when you miss your parents, look for the brightest star. And imagine that's us. And that was the name, of course, of the short trek where Saru left his planet. Oh, the brightest star. Yeah. I forgot about that. For me and Burnham, I have full confidence in her ability as a captain. I know we started this season with her thinking about leaving Starfleet entirely, but I think she found renewed purpose and family. I don't think she doubts her mission anymore. But from a narrative perspective, this show was billed when it premiered in the first place years ago as having a main character who isn't a captain for the first time ever. And I... That's one of the things I've appreciated about this show. We wouldn't have gotten the stories we did if it was about a captain. If Burnham was captain of the Shenzhou and she got demoted, that would have been a very different story. And even like in the second season, it was very much about how Spock is her brother. And that would have been very different if she was in command of a ship at the same time. And this season, we saw her defying orders in a way that I'm not sure a captain can, should, or will do. So I do think it is about time that Star Trek has a leading woman of color who is also a captain. But at the same time, it's going to change the tenor of the show. And I am not sure that will be a good thing. Like it was pitched that way. But we also seen Discovery is a very different Star Trek. Yes. Not only because it's not on the main character or on the captain's sea, but... Uh, for the other things that go on. So I can see, I can agree with what you said, but I can also see where maybe it doesn't actually matter. Maybe it doesn't actually change things, or at least not change things dramatically. Mm-hmm. I can see it both ways. But you're right. It was pitched differently, but so was Doctor Who. <laughs> it was an educational show at first, and it turned into the behemoth it is today. Uh, and shows change. And mm-hmm. this is the natural progression for her. Yeah, and the show itself is very different. It was billed as occurring 10 years before Kirk, and now it's a 1,000 years after Kirk. So that itself is very different. Yeah. So I'm not opposed to change or to evolution. I just, I don't know what this means for the future. Like when they left season two going into the future, we were like, wow, you know, there's going to be different technology and different alliances, and we don't know what the future might hold, and it's going to be so different. And with her as captain, I was like, I I don't know what to expect from this. I, I can't even begin to guess. Like you, you and I just discussed about how the first three seasons were sort of an arc, and now that's done. And season four can be almost anything that they want it to be. So there is so much opportunity here. I don't know what direction they're going to take it. Yeah, uh, they left it very open-ended. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I will say, though, that... One moment I loved in that closing scene that had me holding my breath was when the camera zoomed in on Burnham and we're going to hear what her version of (laughs) Engage was. 
And this only, like, I, I knew that that was what they were doing, and I held my breath to see what it was because we had been primed for this by Saru trying to figure out what he wanted to say. And when she said with that smile, let's fly, I was like, yes, yes, I love that. I don't know if it's going to work if you say it every episode, but in that moment, I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Uh, mm. I was cheering too. Uh- <laughs> Yay. Yay. A uh, few random things from the episode. Yeah, I have a few too. You go ahead first. All right. Uh, I really loved the effect of the warp missile just dangling off the side of Discovery as it came out of warp. That was neat. <laughs> looked like like a nacelle had fallen off with your Christmas tree ornament and mm-hmm. was still dangling there. Uh, uh, Sahil, they finally went and go picked up picked up Sahil from like, the first episode. Yes, the communications officer. I was so happy to see him. And so was Burnham. I'm so, I was waiting for her to hug him. Yeah, it did look like that. Her warm face. When when Sonico has this huge, warm, smiley face, she just looks like she's a really good hugger <laughs> when she wants to be. What, other, uh, what are some other notes you have? Uh, those are the big ones. Oh, these uniforms look so like dress uniforms. Uh, the new ones, I... They, they yeah. might grow on me, but they feel like too dressed uniformy for me. I thought that was an admiral thing, and now everybody's wearing it, and I'm going to miss the Discovery outfits. We're going to have yeah. to update our avatars on our website. What about that, too? So <laughs> maybe, I mean, T or DS9 and TNG both change their uniforms during the show, so. Uh, but these ones feel like they are going to a formal every day. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how long they last. Well, you know, Pike and Discovery had different uniforms, so maybe Discovery will have a different uniform. Maybe they'll yeah. just be like, you know, you know what? We went back to the original operating system of the ship. We're going to go back to our original outfits too. Yeah, like this whole, this whole like whole vibe they have of Star Trek the motion picture just isn't working out for me. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Uh, let's see. Oh, a few more of the potential subthreads they could pick at. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is Kovich? Is he the president of the, of the Federation? Or is he just that, a guy? Yeah, that occurred to me too. We saw a glasses guy in this episode, and we still don't really know who or what he is. We don't know anything more about the UFP. We saw s- some planets join or considered joining at the end, which was neat. And apparently it didn't take much convincing other than the destruction of the Emerald Chain and the return of Dilithium. Yeah. Uh, Booker said, hey, if I survive this, I'll tell you about uh, the guy His namesake. I took, yeah, yeah. I took a Cleveland Booker name from. So that's something they could tug on if they want to. Uh, we have the Adira and Gray story. Uh, we also have Paul and Michael. Like Some of these are rehashes, but these are just threads they could pick up in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, what's Saru going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are my threads that I wrote down. One small thing we never really got an answer to, to my satisfaction, is why the subspace distress signal from the Kelpian ship was interpreted as a song in everybody's memories. Yeah, they just kind of hand waved that. It seemed like this thing that was building and building, and then like, no, no, it's just this. Like, oh, yeah, I okay. thought that was kind of weird. They could have. I feel that it could have. They, they didn't. They did not do it justice. Yeah, we saw in this season uh, the character on the bridge named Nilsson who previously played Arium and then I don't think we saw her in the previous two episodes but we did see all of a sudden last week and this week Ina I-N-A is how her name is spelled and I don't think we'd ever seen this Lieutenant Ina before I, and so I, think- I was wondering if they like 
wrote off Nilsson and introduced Ina. But then at the end of this episode, there was Nilsson as well. Yeah, I guess Nilsson made it on the one massively large starship-sized <laughs> shuttle with yep. the rest of the crew. But I, while we were chatting, I looked up Ina in Memory Alpha, and these are the only two episodes in which she has appeared as a human. That actor has played other aliens in all three seasons of Discovery. Huh. So why they felt the need to suddenly put her on the bridge in the penultimate episode of the season, I don't know. That's was, so weird. But that's, yeah. yeah uh, it's like, oh, here's this new character who's going to potentially suffocate and die along with these other characters we've known for three years. I mean, real life to me, that suggests scheduling trouble mm. with Arium's actor. Maybe. That's interesting. Uh, but I mean, I mean, if I try to think about it like, in a real life world thing, because otherwise, yeah, why would you all of a sudden have Ensign McRando right. all of a sudden here? Especially uh, when I feel like they've been building up Nilsson. I mean, they had her at the con in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. So, eh, but it's a little weird. Yeah. Oh, hey. oh, one note about cinematography, which I just, I'm just oh, now looking at that. your notes. I was like, avoiding them earlier for spoilers, but you said that you really loved the camera no. is coming from upside down or whatever, and I really hated it. No, no, they loved it. I did not. Oh, oh, good. We both doing hated this it. At the beginning of the episode, they, they dropped it about 10 minutes in. They kept doing this weird thing where the camera would go upside down and go to the next scene or start upside down and start this scene. It was weird. Like, you usually have weird camera angles to tell the viewer something is off or parallel or mirror. Like, like yeah. they did that with the mirror episodes a lot. Or you have the camera at sitting at a crooked above or down angle to say like something is very wrong. They use Dutch angle. Uh, they use it in Voyager once in a while. Or in this season when Adira got sucked into the pool of trill liquid. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I don't think they were trying to say there's more going on here. It was just felt like weird camel work to me that felt funky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they did it. It was a long cold open uh, or I don't know if cold open is the right phrase, but it was 12 minutes long before we got to the opening credits. Yeah. And now that you mention it, I'm not sure we saw that camera technique after the opening credits. No, <laughs> they didn't. And so awesome. I don't, I don't know what they were going for with there, but mm. I did not appreciate it. If, if, if it was, <laughs> yeah. it did not pan out into anything that maybe? Ah, pan out. I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, maybe, that's, that's something I could have done with that. Yeah. I guess that could be another loose thread. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with our cameraman? <laughs> yep. Uh, awesome. Which is weird because we ta- I've, I've praised the camera work in a lot of this season. Yep. And this one really threw me, threw me. <laughs> Except for that one gimmick that didn't work. The rest of the shots for this episode were fine by me. Yeah, uh, the action stuff. These are the yep. quick cuts because people aren't action stars. Hmm. Uh, we have noticed a lot of action in the season finales. You and I talked about that at the end of season two. It was a two-parter where one, the first part was very talky as everybody said their goodbyes. And the third part was there are tons of little ships all flying around. There's a missile lodged into our ship. That's going to explode. Lots of action. Yeah. We saved our budget for the last few episodes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. The season one finale was not quite as actiony. It was like Burnham beamed down to the planet and talked Georgiou out of blowing up the Klingon homeworld. And that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They spent, Oh, that season they spent all their makeup on Klingon, bad Klingon makeup. 
I feel like the action finale for season one was when they escaped the Muir universe and blew up Giorgio's floating space palace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got nothing else to say about this season finale. Do you? No. Uh, we. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed my time. Yeah, we kind of summarize our thoughts at the top of the hour, and then we just dove into all the details. Yeah. We are going to take a step back and look at the whole season as a recap, as we tend to do here on Transporter Lock, and we will continue the tradition of inviting back friend of the show, Susan Arndt. She'll be joining Yay. us next week. Yay! Yes. And then after that, we are going to take some time off, as we always do. We very rarely have anything to say on the podcast when there is not new Star Trek. In the past year, we've reviewed Picard, Lower Decks, and Discovery. And we know, as far as I believe, all these shows are coming back, but we don't currently have an ETA for all of them, or any of them. And I imagine that production may be hindered by the fact that we are still living ongoing in a pandemic <laughs> yeah so uh before we sign off don't forget to go cancel your cbs all access subscription if you are one to want to do that <laughs> that's true i always stay subscribed because i know at some point in the next year there's going to be more star trek even if it's just short treks but right now we don't have an eta so maybe cancel huh. mm-hmm. but until then let's fly If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Yep, and we got to see... I'm sorry, I never remember his name. Aurelio? Uh, Aurelio. Aurelio. Aurelios. Aurelios. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Since neither of us is sure, let's take a moment and make sure. Uh, I could just look at last week's episode notes, but I don't have quick access to that. I'll just Google it. I think last week I thought Aurelios, and then no, it was Aurelio. Uh, Aurelio. A U R E L I O. I keep thinking like the Greek thing or a Roman thing. <laughs> Which one is that? No, it just sounds very Greek or Roman. Oh, yes. Aurelios. I, yes. Yes. I want to keep adding an S to it for that exact same reason. Yes.